0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of Treks in Sci-Fi. If you can tell from the music, we're going to look at a classic sci-fi film from 1955 called This Island, Earth, on this week's edition. Today is June 24th, 2012. This will be podcast 390, and we're going to talk about some other bits of news and things in the geeky world for the last couple of weeks since I've uh, podcasted, so sit back and relax and uh here we go with the show Once again, everyone, this is Rico, and you're listening to Trexin Sci-Fi, obviously. Uh, well, how's everyone doing? I, I'm going to start off today with a little different uh, format to a degree, I guess. Uh, we, uh, I will give you the weather report. Here in Michigan, we're about mid-60s. It looks like it might rain today. I guess there's about a 50% chance, which it uh, would be okay. We haven't had that much rain this uh, spring, summer yet, and I guess it's now summer officially. And uh, it would be good to get some more. And it was kind of warm this past week, but uh, anyway, enough about that. Uh, a couple other things. First off, I want to say uh, I'm really help, uh, really <laughs> happy. That's what I was trying to say. Really happy that we've got over a hundred uh, people over on Facebook on our group there, and it's growing. So uh, if you're not uh, a member over there, if you're a Facebook user and want to join us over at uh, just go to Facebook.com slash Sci-Fi, and I think that's how you should find it. Or just search for Trex in Sci-Fi on Facebook. There's also links on the main page, to main Trex in Sci-Fi site. So check that out when you get a chance. I thought what I would start out with along the lines of that is a few kind of just general comments and announcements of different things. Um... I've gotten a, uh, a couple of emails lately uh, from some people uh, about some things on YouTube, some videos and that. Uh, one of them is called uh, Secular Quarter Number Three. Just search for Secular Quarter Three on YouTube and it's a cool little uh, film that's been entered into a, uh, a contest and it's, it's only a couple minutes long and it basically tells uh, kind of a little tale of an alien invasion happening over in in the middle east and uh i don't want to say too much i i just thought it was pretty cool very cool effects for a very uh you know uh homemade and uh you know uh not a lot of budget for it but it doesn't really show i mean these guys did a good job so check that out there's also something else uh that somebody sent me a note about called uh a, a video this is a little longer one about 10 minutes it's called uh, apocalypse girl It's kind of a set in the uh, post-apocalypse future where there's this uh, girl that kind of flies around and she's sort of a superhero. Again, I don't want to say too much. I want to warn you about this one, though. There is some language in that one, uh, so check that out if you get a chance, either of those. And the other thing that I wanted to announce and talk about at the beginning of the show is a new little uh, YouTube show that I, I just found out about. I guess it's been going on for a couple of months now, but I just discovered it. And it it is called, uh, it's Will Wheaton's Tabletop. And this is part of uh, Felicia Day's Geek and Sundry network of shows that she's uh, creating this little network on YouTube. So you could either search for Will Wheaton uh, Tabletop on YouTube or Geek and Sundry. And uh, they also have a regular website too as well. I put links and stuff on this on both the forum, I believe. And also on the main website and on Facebook. Too many places to post. But basically, Will Wheaton, of course, as we know, Wesley Crusher from Star Trek The Next Generation, has created this video series that he does. I think he puts out a show like every couple of weeks, I think. I don't know if it's every week or not. Uh, But there's maybe about six, eight of them out, I think, already. And it, what it is is he gets together with some friends, uh, some of them celebrities, some of them people you'll recognize from uh, sci-fi TV shows and other things, people from like Eureka and uh, other shows that you'll uh, probably be familiar with. And they sit down, and Felicia Day is in one of them too, and they sit down and play a board game, like a tabletop game. Not, not really, I shouldn't say just board game because they don't all involve a board per se but it, it's usually a kind of a geeky type of game i'll give you an example uh there's a really popular game that's been around for a while now called settlers settlers of Catan, and they go through the shows are about a half hour long and they go through how to play the game and they talk it over and usually there's a lot of funny moments and things like that but it's, it's a very cool concept I'm, I'm kind of sad that i didn't come up with it (laughs) because you know there's a lot of those cool board games that you'll find at like sometimes at comic book stores you can find them online uh they're all usually sold on amazon uh sometimes the old uh, bookstores that used to be around that not so much anymore like borders would sell these kind of games and some of them you can find i think in places like even uh, toys r us but they're a little off the beaten path they're not sitting around playing monopoly or the game of life or or Scrabble. These these are a little different, and and some of them are very quick and easy to learn, and some of them take a bit more. But anyway, Will Wheaton's Tabletop. I think uh, you'll you'll enjoy it quite a bit, and I, I think it's a great uh, show and, and a great concept. So, uh, give that a shot when you get a chance. Uh, and I, I think that's most of the announcement. Announcement. Uh, the real uh, things that I've been, uh, you know, seeing and paying attention to and watching this week. And I wanted to get those in on the show. Sometimes I say that more towards the end, and I thought I would mention some of those things right, uh, right off the bat. So uh, I uh, am going to take a short break now. During this break, uh, Joe sent in, uh, or Billy Bob on the forum, and he has done some podcasts. He does his own Upper Memory upper memory Block show right now. He's been doing that for for a while now, and he's, he's he does that show on uh, slightly older uh, computer games, uh, that uh, that we all know and love. Wolfenstein, I think, was the latest one. He put out uh, a, a review, not a re- just a review, but a whole in-depth uh, podcast about that. But anyway, Joe sent in a uh, review of a recent uh, book that he read called Red Shirts. And yes, it's about Star Trek Red Shirts. So listen to Joe's review about that book, and I will be back and we'll talk about some Trek news and other things before we get into the main topic, which is the classic sci fi film, This Island Earth. So here's Joe, and I'll be back in a few.
1: Hey, Rico. Hey, Treks in Sci Fi. Joe from Toronto here, Billy Bob 476 on the forums. Now, Rico, I know you're always asking for fun book reviews, and I just uh, went through a book that is really fun, really entertaining, and very relevant to the Treks in Sci Fi podcast. The book is called Red Shirts, and it is written by John Scalzi. Um, here is a bit of the Description of the book from Amazon.com. I'll go over this one because it actually covers the plot pretty nicely with no spoilers. Ensign Andrew Dahl has just been assigned to the Universal Union capital ship Intrepid, flagship of the Universal Union since the year 2456. It's a prestige posting, and Andrew is thrilled all the more to be assigned to the ship's xenobiology laboratory. Life couldn't be better until Andrew begins to pick up on the fact that, one... Every away mission involves some kind of lethal confrontation with alien forces. Two, the ship's captain, its chief science officer, and the handsome Lieutenant Kerensky always survive these confrontations. And three, at least one low-ranked crew member is sadly always killed. Not surprisingly, a great deal of energy below decks is expended on avoiding at all costs being assigned to an away mission. Then... Andrew stumbles on information that completely transforms his and his colleagues' understanding of what the Starship Intrepid really is and offers them a crazy, high-risk chance to save their own lives. So that's the overview of the book. It's really, really great. It, It approaches the material in a very funny, kind of silly, satirical way. It really kind of pokes fun at all of the silly tropes that we've come to know from you know shows like the original star trek and other kind of 60s and later sci-fi shows of you know the main characters always surviving and low-ranking you know no-name officers always being killed and you know just left right and center but the cool thing about this is that he doesn't poke fun at them in so far as you know this is the universe and this is what everyone does he pokes fun at it in a way where even in their own universe, this is abnormal. And the low ranking officers look around and go, why is this happening? Why are we all dying? What's wrong with this one ship that makes this keep happening? Because all the other ships in the fleet are very, very normal. And this one, and only at times this one, is very strange. And the death toll on this ship is astronomically higher than those of any other ship in the fleet. So Really great book. Uh, The audio version that I actually listened to, interestingly, is also read by Will Wheaton. So there's a great little uh, kind of parallel there of Will Wheaton reading a show, reading a book that makes fun of Star Trek. So anyways, Red Shirts by John Scalzi. Pick it up at, uh, you know, your favorite purveyor of fine books, be it Amazon or Audible for the audio version or anywhere else. So yeah, that's that. Great book. And uh, thanks, Rico, for everything. And we will talk to you all later.
0: Well, thanks, Joe, very much for that book review. Always great to get those, and I, I very much appreciate it uh, taking the time uh, to do that. It, uh, yeah, I didn't realize that the book was was set a, sort of an, a, in a different universe. You know, it wasn't really the Federation Starfleet specifically, but uh, you know, a, a very similar type of situation with a ship out there and these crewmen always dying, and the main officer's not. Uh, uh, not to dying and and coming back each time <laughs> but the you know the red shirts has has become, since Star Trek: The Original Series, you know, has become a term to be used, you know, for in geek culture all, all over the place, you'll see little references like that. So I'll have to pick up that book and and check it out. Uh, Joe, that sounds uh, really fun, and I, I'm glad someone did that. I always liked the episode on on TNG called uh, Lower Decks, you know, where they actually showed what some of the other people do on the on the ship. You know, the the what the TNG Enterprise was supposed to have about a thousand people aboard. And, and you really only learned or, or, or saw, for the most part, you know, the the eight or nine bridge crew and and people associated with them most of the time. And and I'd love uh, I'd love another Trek series where you got occasionally glimpses of what other people do in other areas. And uh, I I just think that that would be fun. I know. There's reasons they do things in a certain way, you know, costs and and, and the stars and celebrities. But uh, I think you can slide an episode now and then in there to show that there's other people on this ship and doing other things uh, besides what goes on on the bridge of the ship. So anyway, uh, let's go on to some Trek stories and Trek news. A few things I wanted to bring up. First, we have uh, a new Star Trek fan film uh, series that's uh, kind of kicking off and getting started. Uh, this uh, it looks very much of the quality and level of production uh, uh, you know style and, and look to uh, the Star Trek Phase 2 guys, which basically to me have the the highest level of you know sets and props and costumes and, and, and special effects. Some people will will occasionally will say you know the acting and the stories may not be the the greatest, but the production values are, well, they're probably just about as good or better than the original series was. So, this this new series—did uh, I say the name yet? Anyway, it's called. It's, it's like I said, looks very much like uh, this Phase Two guys. Uh, what their style is. This is called Star Trek Continues. There's a story. I, I put a story up. Uh, I believe on the main site. There's also one up over at TrekMovie.com. Uh, let's just read a little blurb from their their story here on uh, trek movie star trek continues as a new fan film which is trying to literally continue the five-year mission of the uss enterprise from the original star trek series the new series is being led by vic Minol- mignogna is that how you say his name anyways best known as a voice actor with leads in shows like full metal alchemist dragon ball z uh vic uh, has cast himself as james kirk and he's going to be directing so kind of like a james collie type character here and star trek continues his partner with farragut films maker of the fan series uh, Starship Farragut, and they're they're sharing their, their sets and stages at a facility in Georgia. The uh, cast includes, get this, Chris Dewin, who is uh, the son of uh, James Dewan. He's playing Scotty. Uh, Kim Stinger, who is also on uh, Star Trek Phase 2. She's Uhura. Uh, Mythbusters Grant Imahara, is that how you say his name? Anyway, he is Sulu uh chuck huber is a guy named playing he's a, uh, an actor playing mccoy wyatt lenhart as checkoff and todd hoberkorn as spock todd looks like he's slightly asian it gives spock kind of an asian look in the picture i'm looking at they've got a a bridge crew shot of them it looks like they've filmed a couple of short uh, vignettes so far and those are expected to be released at the shore leave convention in baltimore which will be the first weekend of august so I'm sure they'll be online uh, sometime right after that uh, or around that time in early August to look for those at their site, StarTrekContinues.com. They also have a Facebook page, of course, as well. So looks pretty cool. I'm I'm very much looking forward to that. Anything more that we get of fan film stuff in... uh, in the original series time frame uh is is i'm all for it and and like i said the production and, and look of this this series looks looks great looks fantastic so we've got that to look forward to in in a, well i guess a month or two uh i hope everyone's uh, still got on their calendar t- and tickets for july 23rd in the united states at least we are getting for kind of for the 25th anniversary of star trek the next generation and also the release of uh, the first season of TNG on Blu-ray, which will happen that same week. Uh, they're at fathomevents.com. You can get uh, tickets to see two episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation, along with a behind-the-scenes making of the Blu-ray release feature. Uh, this, uh, The Blu-ray uh, season one set is coming out on July 24th, so on the 23rd, the night before, in, in HD on the big screen, you'll be able to see uh, two episodes. Uh, one is where no one, where no one has gone before, and the other episode Data lore, along with this behind the scenes thing. And here's a uh, little preview uh, trailer that they have online on YouTube for this special TNG on the big screen in theaters for One Night only on July 23rd. Engaged.
1: Celebrate Star Trek, the next generation's 25th anniversary by experiencing two remastered episodes like you've never seen them before and on the big screen for only one night, July 23rd. Come on, Lieutenant. Featuring never-before-seen footage and special behind-the-scenes extras. Two episodes, one spectacular night in movie theaters July 23rd. Tickets on sale now at BattleEvents.com. Available on Blu-ray July 24th.
0: Yeah, so uh, kind of a once-in-a-lifetime, maybe, event there that uh, you'll get to see uh, TNG on the big screen. I know uh, it's playing in, in, a, in a good amount of theaters around the country in the United States, so so check it out, Fathom Events, and there's links up on the site for that. Uh, a couple other Trek stories, then we're going to get into This Island, Earth, the uh, classic sci-fi film. One, the, the original shuttlecraft Galileo, or what's left of it from the original Star Trek series, is up for auction. Now, this poor... Um, bit of history and replica, or not really a replica, I guess the original prop or or set piece uh, that they used on the original series, the Shuttlecraft Galileo, uh, is uh, in really bad shape. This thing sat outside, it, it passed hands. I think it's currently uh, in ohio uh but it is up for auction what's left of it and uh the you know unfortunately these things were not built really to to survive um for years and years especially out in the weather uh but uh right now uh it is up for auction it looks like the bid is at uh, twenty thousand dollars which has been at for a while somebody must have just plunked down a bit of twenty thousand and it kind of shook a lot of people away who may have tried to get it for, uh, you know, something a lot less than that. I would predict it will go for a significant amount more than that, I, I think. I'm hoping it goes to someone who's a true collector who also has the means to sort of restore what's left of it. Uh, unfortunately, it's in such bad shape, I, I, I you know, I, I'm not sure. I know a little bit about construction, about woodworking, about, uh, you know, things like this and building stuff. And you need a, a, a structure. You need a something left to restore on you know you can't just put new wood over rotted wood you know what i mean so i don't know what's going to happen but uh but anyway it's up for auction and uh it, it you know this piece of tos history there aren't a lot of these things like this around anymore from the original series so uh, hey if you got a lot of money to burn go for it <laughs> it's it's still around and still available but uh, and it looks you know i guess there'd be a way to you know build it and i i think there were. You know, years uh, over the years, there were different times where I heard about this piece and people trying to get it for a museum or find some ways to restore it and and stuff like that. So uh, that, uh, you know, we'll see Uh, the I don't think there's that much going on about the movie that that's really happening. Oh, one other thing on the fan film front for Trek. Uh, James Colley has stepped down of playing uh, Captain Kirk from the Phase 2 series. I think he did it in one of their more uh, recent episodes, Katumba, I think it's called, uh, that's still being in post-production. So we may see another episode or two uh, from them, uh, another uh, fan film from the Phase 2 guys with James Colley playing Kirk. But they got a new guy uh, playing Kirk. Let's see, what's his name here? I'm trying to, trying to dig this up. Uh, his name is uh, Brian Gross. Uh, he's been in a lot of different uh, feature films. He was also had a supporting role in the the Lucas uh, Red Tails film that was out not that long ago. He's a 33 year old actor. He's uh, been in NCIS Los Angeles, CSI New York, Psych, Saving Grace, Cold Case. Anyway, uh, he uh, it looks like he looks a little bit Kirk like. I'd say uh, we'll see how uh, we'll see how this turns out. Uh, he's got uh, you know it's it's a fan film and i uh, you know i think he'll do a good job it sounds like he's an experienced actor so i'll, I'll be interested i always thought james collie though like people kind of liked and didn't like him in different ways i, I thought he had the kind of kirk style down a little bit uh, you know to a degree he was kind of that cocky kind of young kirk uh attitude but uh but we'll see how this guy does this brian uh gross uh, actor for this role okay i think that's about it oh one last thing that i want to say before and i should have should have said uh before i get onto the main topic that i should have said earlier in the show thanks so much again to the guys who guest hosted last week brian and al for doing that fantastic alien 3 show i know uh they en- really enjoy doing those uh brian is a big big alien fan especially so thanks guys for doing such a a very detailed and 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 cool look at that movie And then looking forward to uh, future uh, ones as well. So without any further ado, let's now switch gears and go into the main topic, which is a a, a classic uh, movie that I watched several times growing up when we had very little sci-fi to watch in terms of movie or TV to see, not like these days with a whole channel kind of devoted to sci-fi, although they do show wrestling sometimes. But anyway, uh, this movie from 1955 is called This Island Earth and uh, it's well let me play the trailer i think that'll be a good way to kind of uh introduce you to the film and then i'll come back and we'll talk more of course about the movie and play a lot of other clips from uh, this classic sci-fi film
2: The two of you are beginning a strange journey. A journey that no Earth people have ever undertaken before. Universal International presents the most startling, the most
3: imaginative and suspenseful science fiction drama ever brought to the screen. You'll marvel at the superior intelligence that unleashes its deadly ray. Dave, Dave! Or can kidnap an airplane in flight Prisoners hurtling through endless space, speeding toward the unearthly furies of a planet gone mad. See sights never before dreamed by man. The battle between guided meteors and deadly rays. They're going to hit us. They're going to hit us. A planet doomed to destruction. while captive Earth people fight for their lives. It is indeed typical that you Earth people refuse to believe in the superiority of any world but your own. Run, run!
0: Okay, hopefully that got you in the mood to uh, to learn all about and hear some clips from this classic from uh, 1955 called This Island Earth. I'm guessing that uh, a fair number of you, unlike other podcasts that, that I do or guests have done, uh, probably maybe are, are not even familiar with this movie and have not seen it or maybe not seen it in a long time. If you, um, if you remember ever seeing a, uh, a sci-fi movie with a big kind of insect-looking guy or creature called a mutant in the movie, this is more towards the end of the movie, but I'm trying to click your brains in if you've seen this. There's, a, there's this mutant in the movie that looks like it's kind of a giant fly with a big head. Is actually obviously a man with, with a, a prosthesis kind of a head on his and also some weird arms with claws that uh, is this creature, that is one of the classic scenes him chasing after the girl in the movie or on the posters they have uh, they have him attacking kind of the girl because you know keep in mind sci-fi movies uh, uh, of the 50s were very much dictated by a few things. One were usually giant insect type things and were involved in some way, mutations of some kind and and usually flying saucers and, and aliens from outer space and usually, sort of a scary horror type situation in a way. In other words, they weren't. Um, they they usually had some girl screaming at some point in the movie. So keep all those little things in mind when you're watching this. But uh, from the from the start, and my opinion of it, and and when you watch this movie, I watched it again last night to collect some audio clips, and I hadn't seen it in a while. I, I saw it several times when I was growing up. But uh, it's actually a fairly serious uh, sci-fi movie, about as serious as they they can get, and from that era. And it still holds up pretty good today. I mean, if you look past the. The kind of cheesy special effects to to our eyes of the, in these days of CGI and everything like that. But the basic story here and the basic essence of this movie is is pretty strong and pretty good, I think. And, and I like it. And, I, you know, I, I'd love to almost see a, a remake of something like this, you know, with modern storytelling, modern acting and effects and look and everything like that. But let me give you some background in that, and then we'll go through some of the clips as well uh... the the movie this island earth was based off of a uh... 1952 science fiction novel by a guy named raymond jones uh... that was actually first published in in a serial in a magazine called thrilling wonder stories they published it in parts in that magazine and that was the the basis for this movie uh... this island earth uh... the movie itself the the it was written by raymond f jones Franklin Cohen and Edward O'Callahan. Uh, those guys worked on the script. It's produced by a guy named William Allen and directed for the most part. There are parts that are not directed by this guy, but directed mostly by a guy named Joseph M. Newman. Uh, the actors in this movie, uh, you have some pretty solid actors who who did a lot in this time frame in the '50s to '60s, especially uh, Jeff Morrow. Uh, let me run down the 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 different. Um, actors also along with the roles they play. Jeff Morrow is Exeter. Faith Domerig, uh, I think that's how you say her name. Uh, she is Dr. Ruth Adams. Rex Reason is kind of the hero guy. He's Dr. Cal Meacham. Uh, there's a guy named Brack who's one of the aliens. So that, that's a great name, I think. They, they have some good names in this movie. Exeter for the for the main alien that you run into and Brack is his like assistant he's Lance Fuller Russell Johnson who was the professor on Gilligan's Highland he is uh Steve Carlson in this movie and that's there's not a huge cast there's a few other people that you see briefly uh there is uh, uh the the mutant that I was mentioning before uh, as well uh but I'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to that point of the uh, of the movie, but those are the main people in this uh, this film that you run into. Uh, the basic premises of it is that there are scientists on Earth that are working on uh, nuclear energy. Kel uh, Meacham is especially one. Ruth Adams, Steve Carlson, and uh, there is uh, a group out there uh, led by this Exeter character that uh, basically is interested in the using their brains uh, and and kind of more or less hiring them away from whatever they're doing. And have them come kind of work for him. And uh, I'm not going to say too much here at the beginning. I'll talk about it as we go through the, the clips in the movie a bit. But, of course, looks can be deceiving. And it doesn't turn out to be exactly uh, what Exeter has uh, told them. That's not really the true motives. I want to say also that this movie is something that you may have seen incorporated into uh, Mystery Science Theater. It was used for uh, uh, the uh, film version, actually. The film version of Mystery Science Theater. I don't know if they just ever did one film version of that, but uh, the, this Island Earth is the movie that they they picked to kind of uh, make fun of in a way. And I, you know, I love Mystery Science Theater. It's it's fun as well. And there are certainly times and moments in this movie, quite a few actually, that you could poke fun at. But again, I I, I keep saying the the essence of it uh, is still pretty solid. It's uh, it was made by Universal, or has a running time of 86 minutes. Uh, again, came out in 1955. Actually, supposedly it took about two and a half years to film this movie too. So, all right, let's uh, let's get on with some clips. The way this uh, movie starts out, uh, you um, begin with. Um, there is a uh, a plane coming in with uh cal meacham on it and he's arriving at this base that he works at he's this guy is like mister mister just jack of all trades hero type he's he's like a a scientist a nuclear scientist he also can fly planes uh and, you know and he's a rugged hero looking type guy so he is, uh, that's the, uh, the guy played by Rex Reason. He's got a very deep voice, too, you'll notice when you hear some of these clips. He's got a very, uh, I guess it's called a baritone-type voice, I think. Uh, you know, that would be the right description. Uh, but he's uh, a very Rock Hudson-looking kind of guy, very tough-looking guy. So, anyway, you uh, start off with this in this movie where he's... Um, He's talking to some reporters on this airstrip uh, about what he's working on, some of the scientific stuff he's doing. And then he takes off in this plane that he's sort of borrowed from the the Air Force or something like that. So here's here we go with this clip.
2: Cal, you okay? Okay. What happened? How'd you bring it in?
4: I didn't. Couldn't. What do you mean you didn't? Controls went out. Huh? That's right. No controls, no power. The plane died up there. I should Cal. be dead.
3: I... I know everybody's seeing flying saucers and screwy lights up in the sky. Well, you can put me in the booby hatch, too. Because so help me, I saw this ship turn a bright green up
4: there. Are you sure, Joe? Positive. Did you hear anything? Yes.
2: A high-frequency
3: howl. Very high.
4: All the time your ship was... Green? Did Webb see it? Unless he's blind. Check him. Right. Oh, and Joe, until we find out what happened, all three of us were blind.
0: Yeah, that's uh, after he arrives in the plane. Basically, there there was this sort of green glow that comes down. His plane uh, is sort of held by it and then lands without uh, Meacham controlling the plane at all. And the other guy that you heard in that clip there is his buddy, his assistant, Joe Wilson, played by an actor named Robert Nichols. And you only really see Joe kind of in the early part of the movie, although there's there's a good amount of time, I think, maybe the first 20 minutes or so where they're working together in the in their lab and that. And then uh, it, what happens uh, at first is when they get to the lab, they're working on uh, these experiments and, and trying to uh, work on some new sources of energy, nuclear energy and that. And his buddy Joe, has, they ordered some parts, these little condenser parts, and they, they got these ones that are a lot more sophisticated and capable and, and actually smaller in size than what they had expected. And then it comes from this weird uh, company. They get this catalog of, of stuff that they, uh, you know, it's it, from this company that doesn't seem to exist in a way. And, and they order uh, these parts. And eventually, they they are able to build this uh, communications device called an Interocitor. It's a cool uh, name. And this Interocitor reference and the way this little machine works, it has sort of this big triangular screen. And this is eventually how the character, the alien character of Exeter, although they don't realize he's an alien at the time, even though he, he looks very odd. These aliens have very high, large foreheads to give them, you know, obviously they... At this time in, in, in movie history, they thought all aliens out there that were smarter than us would basically have bigger heads, bigger brains. So they kind of raised the actors with some makeup in that. They raised their foreheads up higher and gave them sort of a, a, a weird look with a bigger head and this sort of white hair they, all, they also all had. So I think the next clip that I've got is, is the first uh, contact they have with Exeter. So listen to this. Now, what do
4: I
2: do? Clear your screen, please. You can hear me? Of course. Use the intensifier disc, the one in your hand. Place it in position on your right. Now turn the control 18 degrees to the left. successfully accomplished your tasks Dr. Meacham. You've assembled an interocitor, a feat of which few men are capable. Who are you? I'm called Exeter. I'm a scientist like yourself, shall we say uh, a colleague. My colleagues don't materialize out of strange machines. They're flesh and blood. And so am I Dr. Meacham as I hope you'll soon find out. Although I admit at the moment I do appear immaterial. But no matter. I represent a group which is seeking scientists of exceptional ability. All prospects must pass an aptitude test, which you've just done.
4: I'm flattered, only I don't remember applying for any job.
2: You didn't. I beg your pardon, Mr. Wilson, your camera will pick up nothing but black fog. Images on the interocitor don't register on film. Put it away, Joe. Do continue, Dr. Meacham. We test out people without their knowledge. We leave nothing to chance. Except the chance that I'm uninterested in you or your group. Come, come, Doctor. It's not possible that a man of your scientific curiosity wouldn't want to find out who I am, where I come from, wouldn't give his right arm for more examples of our superior technical knowledge. I think I can assume, Doctor Meacham, that you're sufficiently intrigued to come to an immediate decision. We'd like you to join our team, as you might say, at once. You'll make arrangements to leave immediately. Wait a moment. I didn't say. At 5 that. o'clock Wednesday morning, our plane will land at your field. It will wait exactly five minutes and then depart. Whether I'm aboard or not.
0: Yeah, so that that scene is after they get this interocitor, this communications device uh, going. And uh, like Exeter explains, it was sort of a test for Meacham to find out he had, if he had the abilities and skills and and could put together this piece of equipment even from these very strange parts that they got. The uh, the thing that that reminded me of when I watched that again is is the Last Starfighter. Remember, in the Last Starfighter, they put those video games machines out around the the galaxy to find people that are capable of using the the tools, the machine itself, and have the skills and reflexes necessary to fight. Uh, You know, the the aliens that they're uh, attacking out in space in order to become, you know, another starfighter in the Star League and all that. Uh, And this, you know, this idea of having this scientific little test for Meacham is is pretty cool. I like that. Of course, his buddy Joe isn't too happy about this because this plane lands. I don't have a clip for that, but this plane lands in the field. There's nobody aboard the plane. It's all autopiloted. and, And, of course, Meacham, you know, like Exeter said, is curious enough as a scientist he just gets on board anyway, sits down, and the, and the plane takes off. And eventually it makes its way um, to another airstrip a, w- a little ways away, and he gets met by Dr. Ruth Adams. And I think that is the next clip that I've got.
3: Good morning.
4: Good morning. Where am I? Georgia. I kind of expected Neptune or Mars.
3: Exeter asked me to greet you. I'm Dr. Ruth Adams.
4: Ruth Adams. But this is wonderful, I never expected. Ruth, I'm Cal Meacham.
3: Cal? Dr. Meacham, of course. Four or five years ago, conference on thermal problems in nuclear reactors. Boston, wasn't it?
4: Vermont, we were lecturing to a symposium of graduate students. Summer, three years ago, after classes would go swimming in a little river near the school you were an awful sissy about that icy water. Now, Ruth, don't tell me you've forgotten.
3: Dr. Meacham, all I can say is I'm deeply flattered. Maybe a little envious of the girl you've mistaken me for. And now I think Exeter is waiting to greet you.
0: Yeah, so this woman, this Ruth Adams, played by Faith DeMarie, uh, she's she's kind of like pretending you'll you'll find out later you know to not know Meacham for I don't know if it's real good reasons I think it's kind of when I watched it again I don't don't know if it really makes sense I guess she was trying to not let on that they knew each other that well figuring it could perhaps be uh used against them to a way because you'll find out pretty quickly here when you if you're familiar with this movie even if you're not I'll tell you the that there's, of course, not all as, as it appears when they get there and Meacham gets there, and the, the scientists being collected are really being collected for not so much to uh, work on things and help Earth, but to help where Exeter is from. But listen to what Exeter explains to Meacham about what, the really, what he's at least trying to sell him on what the, the plan is or what Exeter wants for, uh, for all these scientists to work on.
2: I was just reminding Dr. Meacham that I'd promised to produce some of his colleagues in the flesh. May I use you as my Exhibit
3: A? I'm afraid Dr. Meacham isn't too happy with me. At the airport he was sure we were old friends.
4: Obviously I was wrong. The lady hardly remembers me.
2: What is more important is who we are, what we're doing here. Dr. Meacham, I represent a group of scientists who work with but one purpose, to put an end to war. Naturally, such a goal can't be attained without experts of superior ability. Men of vision, men such as you, Doctor, gathered here, exchanging information daily, putting aside all thoughts of personal success. We hope to achieve exciting new techniques, leap years ahead of the others. I don't think I need to tell you how effective our voices will be when the world learns of our achievements. Well, there you have it. Nothing new, perhaps, but then, what is? However, let me assure you, Doctor, that we are dedicated men and women. And as such, we can accomplish wonders. Well, what do you think of us? This all sounds great, Mr. Exeter, but why me? Dr. Meacham, we happen to know that you're on the threshold of discovering limitless amounts of free nuclear energy. More specifically, the conversion of lead into uranium. Dr. Adams here has been working along the same lines as you have, perhaps just a step behind you. Although I might add that both of you are way ahead of anyone else in your field.
3: Be careful. Exeter will flatter you to death.
2: The truth is never flattering, Dr. Adams. Now suppose you relax and think it over. Suppose when I do,
4: I find I can't go along with you.
2: Naturally, we'll expect you to be discreet about what you've seen here. Otherwise, you're free to leave, Dr. Meacham, as free as air. And now, suppose we continue your tour of inspection, right from our chairs.
0: Yeah, so, uh, you know, Meacham is, um, is pretty suspicious uh, from the start about this whole thing. He's, there are these other scientists that he sees that he recognizes some of them on this uh, at this base, that they've got this uh, place that they're working. They've got some very just... Crazy laboratory equipment, things he's unfamiliar with, things that are way sophisticated and beyond uh, what he's ever known. And considering he's a top scientist in in the field of, of nuclear energy, and that it, it's surprising to him. And this 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 concept too that I kind of laugh at. This whole thing, they say it a few times in the movie about he's working on you know uh, turning turning lead into um, into uranium so it can be used for nuclear fuel. I, I, just find that kind of hilarious. It's like, uh, yeah, good luck on that. I don't think that's going to work out. So, <laughs> um, but anyway, the, um, next clip, there's a, a couple of scenes where they're in the lab in Meacham's lab and they're talking the three of them, uh, Ruth Adams, the, the Russell Johnson character who what's his name again? Uh, da, 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 uh Steve. Yeah. Steve Carlson, who, um, he's got a little bit of a part. He doesn't have a really big part of the movie, but, uh, I think the next clip, yeah, is the three of them talking in, in the lab, trying to talk uh, hidden away. Unfortunately, there's this interocitor in the room. They think they're blocked by a big chunk of uh, lead shielding, but they're not. Uh, I think they, uh, they get overheard anyway. So, But listen to what they have to say when they're kind of trying to figure out what's going on in this place. The next ten minutes, I'm going to know a lot more.
3: I believe him, Steve.
0: Well, I guess
4: I do, too. Now we're getting somewhere.
3: To begin with, Cal, I was the girl in Vermont.
2: Then why all of that? Because we couldn't take a chance. There's always the possibility you spent a few minutes under one of Exeter sun lamps before you got here. Sun lamp?
3: That's what it looks like. Only instead of a suntan, you get your brain cells rearranged. Steve had a peek
2: at one. Yeah, it's similar to lobotomy. Renders useless certain areas of the brain. Those areas controlling the power of the will.
3: Up until now, Steve and I have been spared. We think Engelberg, too, but we haven't the slightest idea why.
2: What about the others?
3: Try talking to them.
4: Well, that leaves the big one. Who's Exeter working for? We
2: don't know. All we do know is what you've already guessed. Exeter is desperately trying to come up with new sources of atomic energy.
3: And we're the geniuses he's depending upon to deliver for him.
4: Well, he might get a surprise.
0: Yeah, it's a good scene there, start to, to learn what they're trying to do and figure out uh, about this place. And I'm, I'm glad that the fact that they don't swallow it, just hook, line, and sinker at all, uh, it's, uh, it's good and it makes sense to me. The, um, keep, keep in mind, this is very much in the, the start of the Atomic Age, uh, and that uh, that is you know one of the other little things that pops up in a lot of sci-fi movies of the time. Is things related to nuclear energy? You know, this is not too long after the bombs were dropped uh, at the end of World War II, so there there's a lot of you know kind of focus on energy in that uh, relationship to um, nuclear power. They talk about that at the beginning of the movie too. The press is is interested in in new forms of energy that he's working on and and so forth. Uh, the next thing I think that we get into is when they learn really, really what's going on. We skip ahead a bit. There's also a cat in the in the lab that I kind of found fun. They call the cat Neutron. I don't really have any uh, clips of the of the cat, so sorry about that to you cat lovers out there. But the um and then I like the idea that they have this machine, this uh, this way to sort of basically, you know, turn people into kind of zombies, uh, or not really zombies, but at least to keep them from asking questions, to just make them do the do the work. But I believe they they kind of hesitate. Exeter is is really kind of pretty much a good guy, and he doesn't really like to use that device. Others of his people and his of these aliens want them to use it more, but I think it also besides being kind of a nasty thing to do the other part about it is i don't think they get the best work from these people and their brains when you've corrupted it to the point where they don't have any free will or, or can form a thought on their own because you know truthfully scientific uh, experimentation and and, and things and trying to learn and solve problems depends on a, a lot of that part of your brain so i don't think you could turn turn that off turn off people's you know, questioning things and will without messing up their ability to to do scientific research. I think that's, they don't say that too much, but I think that makes sense to me at least, and that's kind of the way I I interpreted it. But anyway, next clip uh, is when the big reveal happens, and they learn that these guys are really aliens, and there is a big old spaceship hidden behind this research facility. And uh, that is, I think, what I'm going to play for you now.
2: I want to report on temperature control immediately and use extreme caution through the thermal barrier. Our two passengers are very sensitive to heat. The passengers are here. Allow me to welcome you. I'm sorry that our visit below had to be terminated so dramatically, but time allowed for nothing else. I can assure you, we mean you no harm. Like Steve Carlson and Engelborg, like the others in that house? What happened was beyond my control. What happened was mass murder. We're not all masters of our souls, Meacham. That's a nice little phrase coming from you. I learned it on Earth. Look, the two of you are beginning a strange journey. A journey that no Earth people have ever undertaken before. Now, whether you consider me a devil or a saint is unimportant. What is important is that you're here on this spaceship. Suppose, then, for the time being, we call a truce. As scientists, at least, Meacham... Ruth, don't tell me that as a woman you're not curious about our destination. Where are we going? To a planet we call Metaluna. Metaluna? There's no such planet in the solar system. Metaluna lies far beyond your solar system, in outer space. The telescope will convince you. Come. Observer, prepare a view of the second quadrant, please. I won't ask you to condone what we've done. All I ask is that when you understand the plight of my people, you try to have more sympathy for our deeds.
4: Earth.
0: It's being left far behind. Yeah, the the sets that they use for the ship, the spaceship here, Exeter ship, and, and the equipment that they've got around, I, I think they do a very good job uh, in this movie. Uh, and it looks pretty, pretty cool for the time. Uh, the, even, even the space shots, you know, keep in mind that in in the, you know, mid fifties, there weren't a lot of shots of what, you know, planets and earth looked like from space. Uh, they always typically show earth looking, you know, they, there are pretty much no clouds on it. I always, I always find that funny when I look at old fifties movies because You know, anyone that looks up in the sky can realize that if you saw the Earth from space, it wouldn't just look like a globe, you know, like the typical globe that a a kid has or that you you see where it just shows the the land masses and the in the oceans. But there's not a cloud in the sky. No one thought to just sort of paint some white swirls around uh, on the on these Earth images. (laughs) It's like, really, guys, come on. You can see there's some clouds up there. If you saw the Earth from space, a lot of that stuff you would see. You wouldn't just see this plane. Even Star Trek, the original series, a couple times where they went back in time to Earth, never really showed that uh, accurately. And again, yes, they didn't have images from space, but I don't see why it would be that hard to figure out that you wouldn't you wouldn't be seeing right down to the ground, right down to the oceans without any cloud cover. So uh, Anyway, uh, so they're on the ship. They're on their way to Exeter's planet of Metaluna. I'm gonna skip one of the clips. I think that they um, there's an important point though that they have this conversion process that they have to go through, uh, and and I like this concept. There are these tubes that they they get them put in, but the the point is is that the the atmospheric pressure on Metaluna, the planet that Exeter's from, is much higher than on Earth. So they have to sort of somehow this this device can convert the cells and convert your body to be able to handle the added pressure, kind of like being down in the ocean a long way. And this is sort of a key and important point later on uh, the ship when they leave the planet and, and something that happens with the mutants and everything. But I'll, I'll I'll move ahead a little bit further in the the story and, and the clips to the point where they're pretty much at Exeter's planet and they're talking about this this ion or ionization level uh, uh, field that's around the planet that protects them against these, um, these meteors and things that are being uh, thrown down to their planet from uh, the, the enemy that they're fighting.
4: You in first quadrant, that
2: ionization layer.
0: What you're observing may well be the beginning of the end
2: for our world. The Zekon meteors are beginning to get through our ionized layer. That haze, a field of intense radiation... As you can well imagine, such a screen requires the output of great amounts of atomic energy.
3: And you're running out. That's why you were sent to Earth.
2: And why you sent for us. You need uranium. In gigantic quantities. Our own deposits are exhausted. As our power diminishes, our protection fails.
0: Yeah, so they're pretty much just about at Metaluna. There, Exeter's talking about the the situation. I, I find it interesting and kind of cool concept actually that the the fighting that they're doing is are these uh, these meteors that are being hurled down to their planet to destroy it. It's not rays of of lasers or energy or explosives of any kind. They're using natural objects to sort of mess up metaluna and 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 knock out the uh, the planet and uh, i think that's a cool concept uh, it it kind of makes sense in a way and i, I like it uh, a couple behind the scenes kind of comments and and a little talk the uh, the the woman the ruth adams character played by faith damarig she's a uh, her she slips into one of these costumes that the aliens wear they before the conversion process they say they should put on these outfits they're specially designed you know to handle the space travel and their planets atmosphere and all this stuff but these these costumes are really tight and the comment that she has here i'm finding on imdb about it and she says the pants of her costume they were so skin tight that she couldn't wear any underwear underneath Um, which I don't really, I mean, how, how thick is underwear, you know, or maybe they just didn't want it to show. So a female assistant had to actually help her put on her outfit, uh, each day and take it off and everything. So, uh, I, when I was watching it, they didn't look super tight to me. I mean, I've seen, you know, women seem to wear tighter clothes and jeans and things these days. I don't know. So. Um, there's a, a couple other things that I was going to pass on here. Oh, some of the sound effects and the music. The, uh, are, I, I really enjoy the, these kinds of movies with the sounds that they use and the, and, the, and the music in the movie as well. There are actually several people that worked on the music for this, and I think there's a CD out of it. Uh, but the, the sound effects that you hear, the ship, the interocitors, they're just actually teletype uh, machines, teletype transmissions. Uh, they were picked up on a shortwave radio and then played back at various speeds. So a lot like Ben Burt did with some of the Star Wars movies, especially the original trilogy and even the, the prequels, I, I love it when they take sort of natural sounds or things from... Uh, m- machines or objects or things that we know and just sort of change them a little bit you know record some animal sounds and twist them a little bit like they did for Chewbacca or or um you know the the good old classic one for Star Wars was I always thought the uh the tapping of the I think it was a wrench or something some kind of a rod on a on a high tension line uh, outside that Ben Burt used to use for the blaster fires that you hear in a lot of the Uh, Star Wars films just natural sounds used for other purposes so I like it when they do that and uh, and they do that quite a bit in this movie as well so let's move on to the next clip they get into the planet they land and then uh, Exeter has a little meeting with this head uh, head guy and they're not uh, you know they they basically explain that they're losing this war they're pretty much really, much just about ready to lose it completely and their plan is to uh, hey, how about we come and live on your planet
3: our ionization layer must be maintained until our relocation is effected
4: relocation? to where?
2: to your earth a peaceful relocation we hope to live in harmony with the citizens of your earth
3: in harmony?
2: Our knowledge and
3: weapons would make us your superiors, naturally. Then why haven't your superior brains solved the problem of synthesizing uranium? Most of our scientists are dead. Our major laboratories destroyed. The wars reduced our population to a mere handful. That is true, Meacham. It is indeed typical that you Earth people refuse to believe in the superiority of any world but your own. Children looking into a magnifying glass, imagining the image you see is the image of your true size. Our true size is the size of our God. Do you still insist, Exeter, that we can allow any of these Earth creatures to have free minds? I do. I know them. I've lived with them. You have wasted our time. Take them to the thought transference chamber.
0: Yeah, I think I think one thing they didn't mention and bring out too much in this, they could have. Uh, one thing that is why Exeter is so sympathetic and and cares about the the Earth people as much as he does. And I think part of it would have been that he had worked with them and been on Earth for a long time, and so I think he formed sort of a bond to the to the people here, even though they were more primitive. And you know, it, it it's kind of like you know we're more you know. Intelligent and more sophisticated than a lot of animals, like your your dog or whatever, but it doesn't mean you don't care about them, and that you really would still want to um, treat them well and not uh, you know mess with their heads and things like that. Uh, and then we get to the point of the movie where Exeter's going to take them to do this conversion thing, but they, of course uh decide to not go along with that and and try to escape and then they run into this mutant which is this big creature in the movie you know a lot of 50s movies had multiple creatures the big one here is this metal it's called usually typically there are props and and uh toys that you can find of this if you look on ebay i was looking a little last night uh there's a few different versions of it uh but it's called usually called the metal luna Luna mutant is is sort of its name and it's a mutant that uh, exeter will explain is, is sort of a laborer they they bred and created these you know beasts of burden in a way to to help them uh work in the you know difficult jobs where you needed a lot of strong backs and strong arms and that they didn't really need uh you know a good you know intelligent mind or anything like that to do some of these jobs so anyway the um There's uh, the mutant is played by a guy named uh, Regis Parton, it says here that I'm reading. Uh, The costume is pretty cool. Uh, One thing, a couple things about the costume, if you see the posters for this movie where where the Ruth Adams, the woman character is being held in the mutant's arms with these clawed hands and big brain and big head and looks like an insect type head. Uh, and he's got these insect-like legs and, and claw feet. Uh, the costume originally was supposed to have a, was supposed to be a full body thing. Uh, the they had wanted to do you know legs arms chest you know head and everything uh, but the the legs to make them give them these sort of insect looking uh, legs was very difficult they had a real hard time doing that and move the the actor being able to move in the outfit and the costume so eventually they just scrapped that idea they they stuck a pair of regular pants on like the rest of the aliens on metaluna had on the alien and then you know from the chest up he's kind of has the outfit and the costume of and the big head and the claw arms and everything like that so that's what you'll see is a difference between what's on the poster and what's in the movie itself uh the uh there's um a couple other little things too but uh i like that and and the you know keep in mind this movie also was was coming out it was very much around the time of forbidden planet and the poster is very much like forbidden planets poster where robbie is is holding up um the uh what what was her name nova New, not nova that was planet of the apes uh i can't think of her name offhand but held up held up the the young actress Anne francis that Anne francis played in forbidden planet i'll look it up during the next clip um, but anyway, um, she's being held in Robbie's arms on that poster, you know, kind of. She's passed out and she's held in his arms. And in this this Island Earth poster, it's the metal mutant holding Ruth Adams in, the, in a very similar pose and look. You know, it was kind of like, ah, look at this movie, you know, Earth women being, you know, held by robots or held by mutants. You know, it's it's. uh it's not a very good indicator of what the movie's all about. It's kind of sensationalism, but that's, you know, that's at the time the kind of poster that were put out for sci-fi movies to get the kids and and people to go see it, even though that scene really happens slightly towards just the end of the movie, but it's a, just a piece of it anyway. One other thing that I think is strange about this, I still have a couple clips to play, is when they, they, they get to Metaluna and... and they're basically they're out of time. I mean, the planet's being wiped out, and, and, and they barely actually make it off in time. And I think that's kind of interesting. It's kind of like Exeter on Earth never really seems to get any kind of calls like saying, hey, we're about ready to die here, so you better get back home. And, and they just sort of really leave because— uh, mostly it seems like because Meacham and, and it, Adams and, and everyone start to suspect what's going on. So uh, let's do a clip though. We've got a couple more to go. This one is when they run into this mutant for the first time on metaluna. Sorry,
2: I'd hope to prepare you somewhat beforehand.
0: This is a mutant. We've been
2: breeding them here for ages to do menial work. Well, actually they're similar to some of the insect life on your own planet, larger of course, with a higher degree of intelligence. This one has been given orders to guard this corridor as long as we're here. I beg of you, go inside. Cooperate voluntarily. If you do, I give you my word that you will not be harmed or your minds changed in any way. You defy the monitor. I already have. Do you believe him, Cal? In this place, I wouldn't believe my grandmother.
0: Yeah, so Meacham and Adams kind of break away from uh, Exeter not really trusting him anymore. And then they, they he uh, Meacham hits Exeter and knocks him down for a minute, and they run to the ship. And eventually Exeter just sort of follows along. And, of course, at the last minute, the, the mutant, as he calls him, or mutant, uh, slips aboard the ship as well. And the next clip that I've got for you, I think, is they're escaping Metaluna. And as Metaluna is being pretty much wiped out by... Uh, what are they call the Zygon or whatever the the bad guys in this uh, who 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 live on a comet or are from a comet, which was a weird thing they they mentioned in the movie at one point. Anyway, here's another clip. That may be the last of them.
2: Yes, they're concentrating all their attention on Metaluna. Those flashes of light, they're meteors, hundreds of them. Intense heat is turning Metaluna into a radioactive sun. Temperature must be thousands of degrees by now. A lifeless planet. And yet, yet still serving a useful purpose, I hope. Yes, a sun warming the surface of some other world, giving light to those who may need it. Now, into the converter tubes.
0: Yeah, so uh, they uh, escape Metaluna's destruction and head their way back, make their way back to Earth. Which, of course, you know, in this movie, doesn't take very long to go either from Earth to Metaluna or the reverse trip. What happens when they go in the converter tubes to, you know, get their bodies reacclimated to Earth-type uh, atmospheric levels? Uh, what happens is just as they're coming out of those tubes and they're opening up. Uh, the, uh, Ruth Adams, tube opens first and the mutant has, has appeared on the, on the little bridge of the ship there and starts to chase Ruth around and, uh, tries to go after her. But, uh, and this is where this conversion of pressure, uh, thing comes into play is the mutant hasn't been converted over. So he, his body starts to uh, get messed up and disintegrates and gets all bloody and icky and all that because he can't handle the change in pressure now that they're going back to, to Earth and, and that. Of course, the pressure on the, the, uh, the spaceship itself must be changed and would have to be changed at the same time. They don't go into all those details because they go in the tubes, their, their bodies are adjusted to a new pressure, but not everyone is in the tubes when they first go uh, and do this at the same time. So how, how does that work? You know, because the minute your body would be changed inside that tube, when you come out of it, you better be in a pressure that's capable, you know, of of whatever you've been converted to. Anyway, it's a little bit of a glitch, really. When the, and there, are, you know, these kind of movies, especially back in this day, there's lots of those kind of little glitches you can find if you want to uh, find them. But uh, but anyway, uh, so Metaluna's gone. They, I didn't really. Uh, catch a clip where the mutant's going after ruth because it's pretty much just a bunch of running around and screaming a little bit uh but i will play one last clip they get back to earth and they he um the exeter character says goodbye to ruth and Meacham, and they um exeter has kind of a nice little speech here at the end and then eventually after this speech uh well i'll tell you that after the clip what happens
2: where are you going Our universe is vast. Full of wonders. I'll explore. Perhaps find another Metaluna. A place inhabited by beings not unlike myself. You see, I'm more adventurous than you imagine me. Exeter, you're a liar. You've used all your power bringing us here. Even if you had a place to go, you couldn't make it.
3: Come with us. We'll heal your wounds.
2: I'm afraid my wounds can never be healed. You have things to teach us. Thank you. We're over your earth now. It's time for you to go. Farewell.
0: Yeah, so they say their goodbyes, and and like Meacham says, he doesn't really have enough power to leave, so he pretty much crashes his ship and it gets destroyed into the water out, um, out in this bay or ocean or wherever they're near. And that's it. That's pretty much it. The, uh, you know, It's a pretty cool movie. It's got a lot of uh, interesting, uh, I think, ideas. And, and like I said, I think the, the, the basic story is pretty solid. Here's a couple of things about the response to this movie when it first came out. It looks like it made, by the end of the year, when it came out in June of 1955, uh, 1700000 which, of course, these days sounds like nothing. Uh, it didn't really make a lot of money, though. That's Even though it sounds like maybe it was a lot at the time, it wasn't a lot even during that year. But it got pretty good reviews. Uh, New York Times at the time said something like, Universal's first science fiction excursion in color. First time they did a color movie uh, in science fiction for Universal. It's superlatively bizarre and beautiful, and some sur- but has some serious shortcomings, but they can be ex- excused but not overlooked. Uh, Somebody in Variety wrote, special effects of the most realistic type rival the story and characterizations in capturing the interest in in this exciting science fiction chiller. One of the most imaginative, fantastic, and cleverly conceived entries to date in the outer space film field. Uh, It's mostly, but like I said, mostly positive response when it came out and even since then. Uh, a guy, Bill Warren, since it, he, this guy is commenting on the movie. Uh, it's the best and most significant science fiction movie of 1955. remains a decent competent example of the era's science fiction output. Uh, it's uh, somebody else, a guy named uh, Phil Hardy in the uh, Orum film encyclopedia says science fiction for the, in this film uh, was described as a full bloodied, space opera complete with interplanetary warfare and bug-eyed monsters the film's space operatics are given a dreamlike quality and a moral dimension that makes the dramatic situation far more interesting and another guy dan perry says felt the film was colorful mention of gadget laden gadget laden sci-fi uh Again, it was used for Mystery Science Theater's two uh, thousands uh, movie uh, for the the movie version. They actually toyed around with the idea of making a sequel to this movie uh, around nineteen fifty six. Screenwriters uh, Franklin Cohen and William Allen submitted a script. Uh, they called it t- uh, Aliens in the Sky, or yeah, Aliens in the Skies, uh, for Universal Pictures, and it was in pre production development. Uh, And they would bring back Rex Reason as as Cal Meacham and Faith Domarig as uh, Ruth Adams, and they would be back. It was going to come back uh, and be filmed and out in about 1957, but they felt that it was a little too uh, expensive to make, so they decided not to go ahead with it. Uh, Universal, also I mentioned uh, earlier in this cast about talking about, they they weren't perfect completely happy with the guy uh, directing it joseph newman so jack arnold uh, was brought in to do most of the scenes that you see on metaluna and and the the end of the movie kind of he he kind of finished that out so uh interesting um the uh the special effects i already mentioned about the legs for the for the creature they they didn't work very well uh, they also, this movie was uh, was shown uh, with a double bill. A lot of times in the 50s, and I don't know if this was just sci-fi, but other movies did it too. But, uh, for example, uh, in 1957, the, the movie was shown on a double bill with another classic from the era, which I should cover sometime because I like to do these movies sometimes now and then. Uh, Invaders of, from Mars in 1957, they showed This Island, Earth, and Invaders from Mars. Both of those are are, are very cool movies. This was also shown at drive-in theaters during the summer of 1960 on a bill with Forbidden Planet, which I think it would really work well with that movie. And it was also reissued in theaters in 1964. And I don't believe... I know you can get it on DVD, and I was just looking up on Amazon. I don't believe there is a Blu-ray, though, version of it at all. I don't think you can get it on Blu-ray. I think it's just... uh, unfortunately it's only on uh dvd and the v- video the one that i watched of it the the dvd that i watched they there there is a lot of artifacting and and dirt and things on the images and it's unfortunate i really would love them to clean this one up they did it with forbidden planet and i'd really love them to clean up this one and, and release it on a on a blu-ray sometime too and it's um you know, original, uh, format and all of that of course it's not uh you know keep in mind these movies were done in like a 1.33 to 1 aspect ratio so they're not uh they're not like widescreen like we get these days so there you have it anyway this island earth uh a very cool classic sci-fi movie if you've never seen it definitely check it out uh, you owe it to yourself to watch uh, you know these kind of movies you you can see little things in these movies in other movies uh, to this day, certain certain ways they do things, and it, it, it just shows some of the history there of, of science fiction in the cinema. So, I'm going to take a very short break, uh, a fairly brief break. Anyway, I will be back to wrap up today's show, talk about what's upcoming on the, the future editions of Trucks in Sci-Fi. I'll be right back. Make it so.
3: Hi, we're at the TrekMate Podcast. Join us each week for the latest Star Trek news, in-depth discussions and some pretty cool guests. And as you'll soon find out, we're a podcast that loves to play games. So join us each week for trivia and competitions galore, where you'll be able to win real prizes. Find us at trekmates.org.uk or on iTunes, Stitcher and where all cool podcasts are available.
4: Program complete. Enter when ready.
0: All right, yeah, check out the uh, TrekMate podcast. Those guys sent me that uh, little trailer, little uh, teaser for their show, so give them a a shot, too, when you get a chance from our uh, UK Trek fan buddies doing a podcast. All right, coming up on Treks and Sci-Fi, though, next week, uh, which will be uh, July 1st, uh, we'll be into July already, uh, Chris is going to guest host... He recently did a show with with Rick Moyer on The Apes. He's going to be back again soloing, uh, covering the movie Enemy Mine. That's next week on Trex and Sci-Fi, just a week away. On the weekend of July 8th, uh, I will be doing a TOS episode, Requiem for Methuselah, from Season 3 of that series. July 15th, we have an opening. Hey, who out there wants to do a podcast? Send me an email, treksf at gmail.com. We have July 15th, and we also have the 29th uh, open for guest spots. And uh, July 22nd, in between those, I'm going to be doing a uh, a movie music grab bag show. I just felt like doing another music show. I love movie music, uh, especially in the sci-fi and fantasy realm. And I'm going to be trying to cover probably a little bit more recent movies, some of the music I've been enjoying, uh, of more recent eras, but I'll probably sprinkle in some other stuff from older things too. Uh, so that'll be on the 22nd, 29th, and open guest spot. So that's what's coming up on the show. Hey, everyone, just a last-minute mention, uh, reviews on iTunes, always, always great to get those. Please put up a review for the podcast if you enjoy it on iTunes. Also, PayPal donations are always wonderful to receive, uh, getting close in another month or two. Uh, towards the end of August to pay the annual uh, Dreamhost fees for hosting the podcast, hosting all the web uh, stuff, the websites, the forums, all that. Uh, So PayPal donations, always great to get and um, join us on Facebook, Uh, sign up there. Uh, I'd love to see you. If you're a Facebook user more than other things, uh, you know, join us, just send a request in and uh, someone will okay you to join our little happy merry group of geeks on uh, Trex and sci-fi on Facebook. So that's it folks. Again, I will talk to you in about two weeks. Uh, Chris will be here next week with enemy mine. And uh, I guess I won't be talking to you again until after the 4th of July. So happy 4th of July to, Everyone in the United States, uh, it's plunked down down right in the middle of the week this year, which will be a little awkward. Uh, I think I have just that day off work uh, right now, so uh, light off some fireworks, scare the scare the kids and and animals in the neighborhood. <laughs> Kaylee is so scared of fireworks; she hates loud noises. So uh, if I do anything, I got to make sure I get stuff that's quiet or do it away from the house, far away. So. Okay, everyone, great uh, talking to you again. I I really enjoyed covering this island, Earth. Take care of yourselves. I'll talk to you in two weeks, and uh, keep listening to Treks and Sci-Fi. Bye, folks.
3: is just another journey
0: special guest.